Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Here's a long three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you've not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We just peaked over 50 uh 50 ratings the other day i really appreciate that let's get to 100 see see if we can get there in a couple days um i am really excited we're i'm recording right now before the clippers game this will probably be out tomorrow morning um i'm psyched to be joined by a friend of mine and really great basketball mind just in general if you don't follow him on twitter already please be sure to uh andrew kelly from over at peachtree hoops and also currently an indianapolis native um andrew how are you doing man i'm great man thanks for having me on yeah, yeah, dude. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm I'm pretty psyched to to dive into some of the stuff that we want to that, that we're gonna talk about. Um, first of all, uh just kind of give like a little bit of your background knowledge on on basketball, you know, where you're coming from and um, you know, uh, I'll 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 go more in detail on, on why I want to bring you on. But yeah, I just so people have an idea of the kind of some of the stuff that you do. Yeah, well, I've I'm someone that I think has really formed my opinions like through the internet <laughs> just part of that part of like that generation of fans that sort of grew up watching the game and then had the right time period to sort of explore and see what all's out there uh, just got interested in a lot of different tools that you'll find out there like the nba stats website synergy pvp stats stuff like that's always had a lot of appeal to me but uh i'm from alabama i uh got into the hawks they're the closest local team I uh, moved up to Indianapolis. I've been here for a while. And so I keep an eye on the Pacers too, which I'm sure you're uh, fond of. Yes, but, definitely. It makes me happy, man. Somebody has to keep an eye on the Pacers, <laughs> right? So, Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I was actually like a commenter on like SB Nation for a long time. And mm-hmm. then I eventually made a, a Twitter account like a couple years ago. And uh, Brad Rowland, the head of Peachtree Hoops, asked me if I want to do stuff for them. And, you know, I, every now and then I'll do a little bit. I'm not like a huge writer. I always like Twitter more like the how concise it is that can express my yeah. ideas quickly and kind of move on. But yeah, that's, that's really it for me. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, yeah, that's, you you can be found at, at, and, and then is it, is it an L or an I? I can never. It's an L. Okay. L-A-N-K-E-L-L. Yep. Yes. Uh, post some fantastic threads, uh, some good clippings as well. Um, again, if you, if you don't follow them already, be sure to, the first thing I want to lead off with today, we, we, we talked about this a little bit before we got on. Um, there was an article that came out today. Uh, Trey Young, for everyone who, if you're not, you know, as uh, open with the, you know, as into the entire NBA as, uh, as just the Pacers, Trey Young had a prolific start to the season as, uh, you know, I mean, he's been incredible his first two years in the league. Uh, started off really well for his, his third. A couple of rough games punctuated a little bit by last night. There was kind of a, depending on how you look at it, errant shot to close out the game. Um, and there was a little bit of a, I don't want to say it was a hit piece, but it was a, it was a rough article uh, in, in regarding him. Essentially, well, not essentially, it said that he uh, is a wannabe Steph and is just an average shooter. Um, so when you look at his raw percentages, I mean, he's shooting 36% from three right now, um, which you might categorize as, as average. You know, you look at just league average true shooting i mean not true shooting league, league average three-point percentage is is right around 
36, like 35.8. But I want to talk about for a second why Trey Young is so far from being an average shooter and is actually much more than that. Um, So I'd, I'd love for you to lead off on that, man. Yeah, he's shot well below what he's typically done. I, I'm not sure where he's at right now, but I, I think he's like around 27%, 28%, something like that. He's had a really rough go over the last couple of weeks and sort of tanked his averages. But in general, uh, he's really been like more of a mid 30s shooter. Mm-hmm. But those percentages are a little bit deceptive due to his shot selection. He's someone that self creates the vast majority of his three point looks. Like very rarely does he get a clean catch and shoot look. And statistically over his career, he's, he's been like a lead on those when he gets an opportunity to, you know, shoot from the corners or have the ball set set to him where he can actually, you know, not have to take a dribble. He's extremely effective, but for almost all his career, he's had to do it all self-created and he has one of the highest rates of self-creation in the league. So that does play a role in his numbers. And he also does still have some issues with uh, shot selection. Mm-hmm. He started to tone down some of his like most egregious examples of shooting before, you know, having these possessions where there's no passes. He just takes a shot two seconds into the shot clock, but he's cut back on that a little bit this year. He's trying to uh, get teammates more involved, but that's something that he'll need to improve on. But to your point, even though his numbers fall typically around league average, his gravity is definitely beyond that. Like defenses have to constantly react to him because he can pull up from anywhere. And that has a lot of ripple effects throughout the offense. For example, a big like John Collins is able to slip screens pretty routinely because defenses have to key in on Trey, knowing that he's, he can pull up when he pleases. So that would frequently attract two defenders, which can open pass for Collins to go straight to the hoop. So there's a lot of effects, just network effects, from his ability to shoot from anywhere, even if the percentages aren't always great. Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing that you you bring up is gravity. Um, and for, for those listening that aren't familiar with that, I've men- mentioned it and referenced it in a bunch of my articles. I can't remember who came up with the idea of gravity. I want to say it was somebody who worked at Nylon Calculus, almost definitely, because pretty much everything we have that is good in the world in talking about basketball and analytics is from Nylon Calculus. Um, Andrew, uh, Andrew Patton, I think is uh, one of the guys who really put that out there. It was Andrew Patton. And, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, he developed the gravity app that B-Ball Index has that sort of attempts to quantify it, mm-hmm. but that, he's the guy I most associate with it anyway. Okay. Well, yeah. And, and the, a lot of people have pioneered it. And one of the best articles you, I'll be sure to link it to, um, Seth Parton now who works for the athletic and formerly works for the Milwaukee Bucks, um, wrote about, you know, the importance of gravity. And so like you look at, Right now, Trey Young on the season is, is shooting 26.5% from three, but he's being guarded like somebody who shoots, you know, like 40% from three. And that's that's gravity. You know, like if even if somebody's wide, like the fact that you all right, you know, this guy is is a shooter. So you have to be attached to them. It's almost like a magnet, like the more able or the more gravity that you have, the more pull you have as a magnet, you know, on the court, if that makes sense. Uh, and looking at if, if the ball or the defender was was a magnetic force. It's, the analogy has died very quickly, but I was trying my best with it. But the, the point is, regardless of what they're shooting, they're always a threat to be a shooter. Um, like Jeremy Grant last year, I believe, shot 39 or 40% from three, but you can go back and look. Very rarely is he being guarded. And you see in the playoffs, he has a massive drop-off in three-point percentage. And a lot of that is, A, he had to self-create some of his looks, like Andrew's mentioned, 
but then also you get honed in on in the playoffs. So it, it makes things totally different. So I think, you know, looking at that with Trey, that's a big thing. And I, I that's one of the reasons I want to talk about it. You look at Miles Turner this year and he's shooting, you know, he's had a similar um, kind of cold start to the year. He's picked up recently, um, but overall he's shooting 28% from three, which is of course not great, but he's taking them without record scratching this year, which makes a world of difference because, um, if he has an open shot, he's taking, he's not passing it out. Um, occasionally, I mean, he will pass out sometimes, but for the, compared to last year, it's a very stark difference. I'm sure if, if you, you'd know from watching the game for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, how different he's been with that this year. Um, so I think that's something that's important. And you look too with the Monica bonus, he's started to take threes this year and he had gravity a little bit to start the year, but he stopped taking them because they, uh, they stopped falling at the rate that they had. And I think he's 0 for 11 for his last 11 shots. And he's been really hesitant. Um, you know, the last five or six opportunities he's passed up, uh, you know, twice that, uh, more than that even. And it's not even about, um, hitting them at a great rate, but the fact that people have to guard you like you're hitting them at a great rate. Yeah, it, exactly. It, I think the most simple way to express it is defenses react to volume. They don't react to percentages. Yeah. So if you shoot three to four threes per 100 possessions, even if you shoot 40% of those, it doesn't make a huge impact on how defenses guard you. You can generally play percentages on that. If a guy's not going to shoot a ton, you know, if he makes, you know, one and a half threes on four attempts or something or three attempts, something like that, then it, it doesn't really affect you all that much because the volume is so low. So really, it's about the willingness to shoot, um, especially when there's a contest. If you kind of differentiate attempts between wide open, which could be described as like six plus feet, that's generally a pretty good filter that you can find on like NBA stats. And then open, like four to six. Tracking data is always kind of weird. You're, you're going to have some gray areas. But some guys will shoot pretty well when they're completely like naked, like nobody around. And then if there's like a slight contest, they're just not as willing to pull or they don't shoot as effectively. And that's a good way to kind of figure out if a guy is, you know, a willing shooter or not. You might have some guys that shoot well when they're, you know, wide open. But then when there's a slight contest, they're just not as willing to do it. They'll pass or they don't shoot or they don't shoot as effectively. So it's really all about volume. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's, that's another great point. too. So you look at um, like Matisse Thibel last year in his rookie year. I believe shot just about 40% from three, but he only took one and a half a game. So nobody guarded him. Um, and then you look at like Marcus Smart and while he barely shoots league average from three, I mean, he sometimes, like you mentioned with Trey having shot selection, I think he took like 22 threes in a game last year, um, which, I mean, it, depending on how many you hit, it, it, it makes a difference. But at the same time, I mean, he went from being a complete non-factor in terms of floor spacing and gravity to being like a legit, you have to guard this guy now. Um, but it's interesting yeah, too. It, oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it, in your Sabonis example too, sometimes I think that like the discussion of bigs needing to provide spacing could sometimes get a little bit overrated. Like mm -hmm. just merely being able to knock down corner threes isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. It's not to say that you want somebody to be a total non spacing entity, but just being able to knock down one corner three a game doesn't matter that much. You know, it's much more important to have like playmaking and other attributes and just being able to space a little bit. And sometimes I think that things can get carried away a bit when we start to talk about like bigs needing to shoot. Like for example, Rashawn Holmes, like he, he's yeah. not like this 
I, I don't know his uh, three-point numbers off the top of my head, but I know he's not. He's not. I think he's shooting less right. than a half a game right now. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't do it. But he's very effective in short mid-range with his, like, kind of floater shot that he has in pick and roll. Like, functionally, that kind of shot is way more important than him extending his range out to three because it opens up a lot more t- uh, as far as how defenses would guard you as opposed to, you know, being able to attempt two or three per game. Yeah. And Can I tell you a crazy that. stat really quick? I yeah, saw I this this morning. I can't I, I can't for the life of me remember who posted it. But Rashawn Holmes, I, if I remember correctly, is shooting 81% on runners this year. Like Rashawn Holmes has this really just like kind of crafty um, like runner. It's like in between a runner and, and a push shot. And it's just deadly. It killed the Pacers in the game, actually, yeah. uh, in, against Sacramento. But it's, yeah, exactly like you're mentioning. Like, having that little go-to in between is huge. Yeah, a push shot's a, a good way to do it. The touch on that, generally, when guys have touched kind of in that area, and especially from the foul line, you can kind of project that they might be able to shoot threes at some point. And so I'm not saying that, you know, guys shouldn't try to extend their range. And that's definitely important as far as increasing their market. But I do think that we hone in on it way too much. Like they can have other valuable skills like playmaking or being able to hit these short mid shots that are just functionally a lot more important than, you know, knocking down one or two threes per game that don't really bother the defense. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that. I think when I look at Domas, it's mo- more like, um, cause the, so often because he's operating, you know, from the top of the key or in the high post. Um, and he's really cut out a lot of, he, he used to rely on 18, 16 to 18 footers last year would be kind of his, his dying shot clock shot. And now he tries to drive it. Um, or he was shooting the threes. I think the biggest thing for me is just if when he's out there and he, his, the action gets stuck, uh, cause often that'll happen later in the games. So like, um, somebody will come off the wing for a dribble handoff and then they get, um, they get top blocked or they're not able to get up there. Uh, and then he's just kind of left stranded out there. And then, so last year he would not take those threes. Um, I think if you can just force the defense to like, even consider that you're going to do that, that's a big part. Um, but I, I agree with you totally. I've had this conversation with so many people. You look at like Giannis, um, like I, I am just not somebody at all who thinks that Giannis needs to shoot threes to be an effective player. I actually think it's almost a hindrance to him to shoot as many threes as he has been shooting. I have to pull up his numbers right now, but I just know like um, in looking at what he does, like teams still don't really guard him at three, even though he's taking that many because uh, he's still not like the most willing shooter. Um, he's like a, he's a fine shooter, but he's not really a, a great shooter. And it's just like when he's, I think teams look at it in terms of, okay, well, if we let, if we close out on Giannis and he pumps and goes, that's two points, you know, like, so it's almost better to just let him uh, let him shoot from three right now. Yeah, and that's really a big part of where defenses are going to is trying to be more selective in who you allow open threes to and just play the percentages. You know, especially if that guy isn't – I mean, this doesn't apply to Giannis, but if it's like a big who's not a threat to, you know, put the ball on the floor, then you can really just kind of leave them open. And, you know, if they make it, then tip your hat. But – Otherwise, just keep playing the same defense, and especially in a playoff series, just keep playing the percentages. But, yeah, I, I do think that sometimes the discourse can get, like, a little bit out of hand there. And that's not to say, again, that it's like spacing isn't, you know, important and guys shouldn't try to expand their game. But I do think we can hone on it too much, especially with regard to bigs that are useful in a lot of other areas. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of it just relies on, you know, you look at how the Pacers have been, you know, the last probably five five plus years, like around there, five to seven years. And a lot of it is, you know, they've been actually very different this year. It's kind of funny because they went from being just about the top, I think just behind San Antonio last year in terms of mid-range shots taken. 
um, or percentage of their shots that came from mid range. And they were, of course, you know, they have a lot of guys who are very good to even excellent, like top 10% in the league mid range shooters. But by cutting that out and just, you know, they're still scoring mid range shots at a really high level, but they've cut down the amount that they're taking just to get to the rim more. They're still tops at getting to the rim in the league. Um, only about 16th to 20th in threes. That's changed since the last day I looked at it. Um, but like, I think it's about playing to your player's strengths and finding like, yeah, exactly. when you, when you, when I think one of the issues I have is uh, when people talk about analytics and I don't even like saying analytics sometimes, because I think it's that we've like create not we, but like just collectively, there's been a um, like a witch hunt on talking about analytics. Like anytime you talk about analytics, it's like, Oh, well they have to shoot all the threes. Like all they can do is shoot threes. Um, and that's just not the truth. Like, I think you look at things analytically and it's about, okay, well, um, it makes sense for Doug McDermott to shoot this many threes a game or take every three he can because he's good at it. But am I going to ask Jakar Sampson to take 10 threes a game? No. Like, I know Jakar Sampson. Even if he took 10 threes from the corner, he's not going to hit 30% of them. Um, but I know Jakar Sampson is, if he's coming off a cut, fantastic. Like, it's just about putting your guys in the right place. And I think that's what Indiana has been good at the last couple of years. And this kind of pairs into what we're here to talk about today. Um, you you floated this really good idea on Twitter in one of your great tweets um, about how this Pacers roster is shaping up to be um, very similar, uh, or at least with kind of similar principles to that 14-15 Hawks team. Uh, and to, to reference for people who aren't like me and don't, you know, kind of like foam at the mouth thinking about that team, because I love that team. That was one of my favorite teams to ever watch. 60-22, uh, and 22, and went to the Eastern Conference Finals before they got swept by the Cavs. Um, and that was Mike Budenholzer was still there. Um, I think the first thing I want to ask is, you know, when you were making that assessment or, or kind of uh, floating that out there, what, what was like, what's kind of your initial thought behind that? And, uh, and what makes you to lead that? What leads you to saying that? I think for me, like the main thing is just a number of really good underappreciated players that have the aptitude for very good synergy. And that's really what the 2015 Hawks were. Mm -hmm. They had a number of guys who were very good underappreciated players, just all sort of hit their peaks concurrently. And they found a style of play that worked very well across the board for all of them. So it was just sort of like a, a unique sort of period where everything came together perfectly for this group of players. And there's, I think, at least some parallels there for Indy. Um, just guys like TJ Warren, Sabonis, guys like this who are, are top 50 players that have, you know, room to grow still, room to grow within a team concept. So I think that's really the main point of comparison for me. And they're similar too in that they're not really built on one particular player you know like uh, one of the big topics that we see in the nba now it's like discussion of like heliocentrism you know where you build around one guy and you sort of optimize him but the hawks of that period were not at all heliocentric offense i mean they had jeff teak that sort of create advantages for them to set up others and they had Millsap for closing uh cal corver had an incredible offensive season but they all flowed together and, and worked, you know, they were better than the sum of their parts, you know, and I think that's something that could apply to Indy. Certainly they have some guys like Sabonis that I think uh, just has a higher ceiling than really anyone on, on that Hawks team. Mm -hmm. But I do see some parallels there just as far as like an underappreciated core, you know, emphasis on team synergy as opposed to maximizing one guy. 
Yeah, totally. And I, I, I really love this point because I think like we're mentioning with people being a little bit overly three happy or not even three happy, just like forcing spacing on guys who maybe aren't great spacers. Um, you look at um, championship or bus mentality. I, I think it's something I get really frustrated with. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, so I, uh, I experienced the championship for the first time when I was crap, like 2015, 2016. So yeah, no, it would have been 2015 or no 2016. Um, and yeah, like, I, I just think you look at teams like Atlanta is even though it is a big market, it's kind of viewed more as a small market team. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think just in, in looking at at least the yeah. last 20 years, Atlanta's definitely it's more like, like it's a, like top 10 as far as like TV market, but that's just, you know, there's visiting fans, you know, cheering for the other team when the yeah. Hawks are playing it. So it's definitely more small market. I agree. Exactly. And I think, you know, I struggle a little bit with like, there's a lot of times I'll write something about um, how the team is geared for, you know, maybe being a second round team where if things fall right, they can go to the Eastern conference finals. And that's kind of like an ideal outcome for them. And then, you know, I'll get people mentioning like, Oh, well then why are, what are we even doing here? If we're not trying to win a title. Um, I think it, especially in basketball, like it's so different. I think Moneyball. Uh, when look when looking at baseball, I'm sure you've you've seen or, or read Moneyball. Also, to people who have seen Moneyball but not read it, I implore you to read it because it's a fantastic book. Absolutely nothing like the movie, but great book. Um, it, basketball is just so different from baseball or football or or sports that have that many players on court or on field because one person makes a much bigger difference in a sense. You it just statistically, if you have five players on court for your team one player makes a bigger difference. So then when you extrapolate that to talking about stars and people like LeBron James and, and James Harden, um, guys who are at the top of the top in the sport, it's very difficult to overcome that uh, to, or to just to overcome not having that player, but also to have that player in general is like extremely difficult. Yeah, exactly. Basketball is just extremely star dominant. And when you look at guys who have won titles, I mean, it's like Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, these are like top 25, you know, conservatively best players ever. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you think about what it takes to win a title. It almost certainly entails having one of these guys like in their prime, you know, a top 25, top 30 player in his prime and at least one other, you know, all NBA caliber teammate with them, along with some other good supporting cast members. So it's extremely, extremely difficult to win a title. And I've just never really liked that goal. I think it's more just about producing a contender, you know, trying to produce like a good target, trying to get one player that is worth building around and try to build around that player as best as you can. That's really like the primary goal, I think, of team building, just because so much has to go right. So much luck has to work your way in order for you to, to win a title. So I think it's really more about building that, you know, 55 plus one team that you can sustain for a number of years and doing the best you can with it. And just hoping that the ball bounces your way so that you can actually, you know, get a title. But otherwise, I, I do think that like the discourses can be really toxic about that too. Just the rings obsession that you either need to be winning a title or you need to be rebuilding with no room left anywhere else is just not productive, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not even about, I mean, I've often heard, you know, well, that's a loser's mentality. I'm like, no, it's just being honest with yourself. Like if you, come into every year saying oh well this team has to win a title or i'm not going to be happy and i look at the 15 hawks and i say okay paul Millsap was fantastic that year i mean i actually i still think he was incredibly underrated in his time in atlanta 
um, and with with Utah as well, and even in Denver. I mean, he's somebody who I think if he played for uh, you know Boston or LA, he's on twice the amount of all defensive teams he made. Um, one of the best defenders of this last decade. Um, but you look at him, okay, at, at his peak, I mean, we, we talked about this. I think he was maybe, he borderlined like top 20, top 25. Um, yeah. And yeah. so when you have that as your best player against, um, even when they played the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, it was LeBron. Um, and I think it was only LeBron in the 14-15 year because both Kyrie and Kevin Love were out. Um, but still, that is just like when you have no one who A, can consistently guard him and B, no one who consistently outscores him. Um, that's just a tall task. Like that's asking a lot of your team and it's an, un- I don't want to say it's an unfair expectation, but in a way it is. Right. And I concur wholeheartedly with that. Do you also think that 2015 Cavs team was like a little underrated, even after the, oh, yeah. like they had a really good defense and really good shooters. It was basically LeBron with a great defense and great shooting. You know, eventually they ran into their limit against the Warriors when they needed more than that. Mm-hmm. But that's still enough to steamroll just about any team. And also that Hawks team sort of peaked in January. Like they had that perfect, uh, that perfect month. I think they won like 18 games in a row, something, something around there. Yeah. And then after that, they didn't quite have the same, you know, synergy. They had, of course, Tabo Cephalosa had his season ended by the New York police. So there's just a lot of things that sort of culminated in them underachieving a bit in that particular series. But I do think that that Cavs team was, was pretty underrated. And back to the, the main point too, like I, I really do think that people just need to evolve in some ways, like what their goals are for the NBA in general, because if you just have either a rebuilding or a championship mentality, it leaves so little room for greatness that isn't, you know, that doesn't fall into uh, winning a title. You know, it leads to underappreciation of some really good players and some really good teams and it's just not something that's very inviting for fans to invest in. So it doesn't really make sense to me <laughs> on any level. But, you know, I think we can all be guilty of that to some degree of describing teams as like, you know, a treadmill team or they need to blow it up. And I think there is a point to where, you know, you reach a certain point where you need to make moves and change things up. But I do think that we need to move past certain items of conversation. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um it's, it's really interesting to me because I think you look at a team almost like um, like I, I think of the Cavs team with LeBron there. And I think that is a team that I looked at all the time. I was like, this team needs to blow up, like not in terms of trading LeBron, obviously. I mean, LeBron ended up leaving, but you look at how poorly their their roster was built um, because they had to start paying all the players who they were winning with like J.R. Smith after. Uh, after the title year, I mean, J.R. Smith just totally nosedived as a player pretty drastically over the next two years. Um, Kevin Love's deal, obviously, I mean, I, I think Cleveland mostly did that because he was part of the title team. There's like, hey, we're 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 not in contention mode right now, so we're going to pay you and keep you around. But like you just look at how things started piling up with money and you see that a lot with title teams. They start having to pay their guys who who helped them win. Um and you, you see that happen. And I think you, it's more like teams that age out, like the grit and grind Grizzlies were one where I think you could definitely yeah, talk exactly. about like they need to blow up because they've been together for so long and they, they hit their peak in 2013. Um, and they were competitive for a couple of years after that, but you could definitely make the argument and probably be right. that They hung on to Mike Conley and, and Marcus all for too long. Um, but I think in, in just talking about this Pacers team and how it kind of relates to that Hawks team, one of the things that's interesting, I was doing some research today and looking at this because I'm like really fascinated with teams that are 
incredible in the regular season and, and don't quite make it in the playoffs and try and understand why. And I think a lot of times it comes down to not having that top end talent that you can win with. Right. Um, like as good as the Pacers have been and like one, I'm going on a long tangent here, but it's, it's going somewhere like in looking at overall, why, why I think this is fascinating. I really want to talk about this. You look at the Pacers team from the late nineties and into the early two thousands with Reggie um, and Reggie wasn't even in his prime anymore once he's hitting the late 90s. Like by the time that Bulls series happens in 1998 and they lose in game seven, um, I, I mean, Reggie's still the best player on the team, but he's not near his peak anymore. Um, and mostly, though, you just look at how deep that team was and how incredibly uh, well developed and put together that team was. And you see it's mostly the same guys for about four or five years, and they make the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times, and they end up making it to the finals in 2000 when things really break right for them. Um, and, of course, they lose to the Shaq and Kobe Lakers because they were freaking insanely good. Like Shaq averaged like 35 and 15 for the playoffs, just one of the best playoff runs of all time. And eventually you just can't beat that. But I think you look at this team, and it was different with the 14-15 Hawks because I think their ages in their – core were really all over the place like Millsap was like kind of right in his peak Horford was similar but then Kyle Korver was already pretty old um I mean Jeff it was difficult how that kind of worked out but you look at this Pacers team and they're uh through the next three years everyone is locked up except for I believe TJ Warren has two years left um but if he doesn't get it that's it's really far out to even think about that but there's ways that he could be kept for sure um but I think you look at it in terms of this is a group of guys who are all just now getting into their primes or not even there yet. And they can continue to grow together. The idea is having that continuity. Kevin Pritchard has talked in depth about continuity and wanting to build something that is good now, but will continue to grow into the future. And that's what you have to do with a small market is what we're getting at. And I think, um, yeah. So I, I think you look at what happened with the 14, 15 Hawks and what do you, is there a way that the, that the Pacers can do it better even, or, uh, or not even do it better. I mean, that was a 61 team, but like, is there a way to make things uh, even more effective in the playoffs? Well, one thing too with, with the Pacers is it's funny when you pull up like their cap sheet, if you go around and look at different teams around the league, when you start to go down it, you just think, man, they have a lot of good contracts. It's, just, yeah. it's like one guy after another, we're like, this is a plus value. This is a plus value. This is a plus value. Pritchard's done a really good job just consistently getting good players in on good deals. And I mentioned this to you privately, but I'm not sure that any team has done a better job at managing extensions than them. Oh, when yeah. you look at like, how they've managed, you know, the Turner and it's a bonus extension. Like those are extensions are very difficult, you know, mm -hmm. because a lot of times you could end up paying somebody more than you should, or it puts you in a, in, a, in a tough spot, but they've done such a great job of like predicting growth and still getting really good value on, on these deals. Like means like Sabonis is genuinely very underpaid right now. I mean, hopefully on his next deal, he can get more like the max, but it's definitely very complimentary from a team construction standpoint. But back to your main point, I think if you think about like what the Raptors did, mm -hmm. um, they kept running into LeBron in the playoffs and they kept getting beaten. And I think everybody was sort of collectively thinking like, man, it's time to blow it up. And of course they did end up trading DeRozan, but that was a very smart risk that they did. And if you think about if they had just listened to all the outside pressure, like imagine if they had traded Kyle Lowry or they yep. had traded DeRozan prematurely rather than waiting for the Kawhi, you know, saga, then they could have, you know, dramatic, they would have lost, you know, that championship window, that one year championship window that they had. 
So them being patient and sort of staying with this team that was good, but not quite good enough, you know, get over the hump eventually resulted in, you know, the league is constantly shifting. The landscape is always changing. You never know what could happen, what player might want to go. And they saw an opportunity to buy low on, you know, a top five player in the league and they took it. And that obviously resulted in a title. So I think just there's definitely a case to be made for just remaining good, remaining patient, even if you're not quite getting the results in the playoffs that you want. And just trying to set up for an opportunity to acquire a player. I mean, obviously, Kawhi thing's not always going to happen. Yeah. But you just never know what might break your way is basically what I'm trying to emphasize. So I do think the Pacers could eventually find themselves in a situation that has some similarities. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's the that's that's what I try and look at. And I think that's a great way to put it. Like I think so often we look at just what the team is right now and we don't account for the fact that a growth happens. Like, I mean, I was talking about this yesterday um, on on a Clippers preview for tonight. Um, I never thought Domas was going to be this player. I'm very openly going to say that. Like, I, I remember being very high on him coming out of Gonzaga and I thought he'd be a really cool like maybe he could turn into an awesome six man or spot starter um, who could do a lot of cool low post stuff. I, I mean, you could see his floor vision as a, and a ability as a passer. Um, well, it was at Gonzaga, but what he's growing into now is just like unreal to me. Like, I didn't expect that at all. And like you mentioned about him being overpaid. I think about that a lot in terms of the extension. He, his extension was on the very last day that he could get his extension um, last year before the season. And, you look at now, I mean, how much bigger his deal would be if he if his if he was extension eligible eligible this past off season instead of two two off seasons ago. I mean, that oh, drastically yeah, be changes a no brainer max. A, exactly, a no brainer max right now. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like even Miles Turner. So like people talked to like when when Miles Turner was almost traded, um, or in trade talks, I should say, you people are talking about I've never thought it's a negative value duel I, I've always thought he's like right about that maybe like depending on you know when how you view centers or the center position you could argue um like he's maybe a little bit overpaid but I've what, never what thought is he, he's like he's like high 18 teens, 18 like, million 18 yeah. okay that's he was uh, I want to say he was four for 72 is what his deal is um, and he's that's, in the that's a good year. deal. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's, I've always thought a, as well. But yeah, I have to account for this for the people who are very, uh, very against it. Like, oh, you can't pay. You can't pay a center that much. Um, but now you look at, again, his growth, like uh, his growth has been tremendous. He's potentially defensive player of the year this year. Like if it ended right now, he's defensive player of the year pretty easily. Um, growth happens, you know, exactly. Like that's a really great point. Um, and even if the team doesn't win a title, it's not even about winning titles to me. I think it's just about like, obviously you want to be competitive and you want to be competitive every year, but like, even with the Raptors, like if they hadn't won a title, I don't want to say, I don't care. Cause maybe that's uh, a little reductive to say now, but like, I just enjoyed watching those Toronto teams. Like that 60 win Toronto team under Dwayne Casey was incredibly good. Like they were so fun to watch. And even like the bucks last year, like, yes, the bucks fell apart in the playoffs. And I think um, there's so much more with that too. I don't want to say that there's an asterisk, um, but like you just look at how everything went with this past year, but that Bucks team was like a historically good team, and they they did a lot of really incredible things. Um, and and I, I don't know, I just think that in some ways, I remember those teams that didn't quite get there more fondly than I remember the teams that did get there. Like I definitely I I liked the 15 Cleveland season better than the 16, 17, 18 Cleveland season. Like the 15 Cleveland season when they first came together. 
and they go on that playoff run and it's literally LeBron and Matthew Della Vadova with an IV in his arm after the game because he's playing so hard on <laughs> Steph Curry. Like yeah. <laughs> that run, even though the Cavs lost, I think I got more out of watching that and enjoyment from that than, than anything else. You know, I think, and again, it, it depends on how you view basketball and everything, but uh, alas, that's my, my point is like, it's not always about winning titles, but there's always uh building toward you. You have to get somewhere first before you, you just jump up to it. Like it's, you can't just, you know, skip all of the steps and expect to be a, t- a, a title winner and just sign some free agent out of nowhere and get there. Yeah, exactly, too. And with the Raptors in particular, just think about how much those teams increase the popularity of basketball in exactly. that area. You look at all the talent coming out of Canada now, and I'm not saying they're directly related, but certainly like it's it's had a, it's had an effect like more people I think are choosing basketball as the first sport in Canada and just having a good team even if they had never won a title just created so much positive growth for that area so I think a lot of it is also that I mean these are also the idea of a team too is also to be representative of a community you know it's having a good product that you can go and like take your kids to and have a good time and you know and then I, I think that some of that stuff can get lost in just like the cold efficiency of like hedge fund manager style on teams. And I can be guilty of that too, but I I, I do think that we can lose a lot of, you know, what's really important with these, with these teams, what they're really here to do. I mean, they're taking a lot of tax money, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like you, you, you need to get more than just, you know, a championship or bus mentality from them. So yeah, like, like, like we've touched on, I, I just think it's a really suboptimal mentality. I think that's the the best way I can put it. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. Um, well, Andrew, this was a lot of fun, man. I can always talk team building with you. You got some great thoughts on it. Um, what do you uh, what do you what what are you working on? What do you want people to know about, or anything cool that's going on in your life that that you can fill us in on? Well, right now I'm trying to manage this really terrible skid that Atlanta <laughs> has been on for yeah, uh, really since the, the the calendar turned to 2021. Um, they've had a a very bad stretch of games. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter, A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L. My handle on there is A Kelly. I'm mostly Hawk stuff, but I, I touch some stuff around the league, um, often from a stats perspective. And I'll do stuff, NBA draft, team building, a lot of different things. And uh, certainly enjoy uh, comments, feedback, stuff I get on there and like talking to the people like yourself. It's fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on, man. To everyone listening, of course, go follow Andrew and, and everything he does. Um, of course, if you haven't already, be sure to go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Read us over on Indie Cornrows. We have some great stuff coming out soon. Uh, we have a pretty busy week. I think we have like two days off, and then there's the next game, and then we play like another four games in six days. So it's going to be uh, pretty quick, back to back to back. Um, but yeah, just enjoy the rest of your night. Hopefully, the Clippers game goes well, and I will be in a good mood when the uh, when when Tom and I are doing the podcast later. Uh, just have a good rest of your day.